Hello and welcome back to a special collaborative series that's running as a joint project between the SA Pioneering Podcast and the Some Sort of Miracle Podcast. In this series, we'll be working through a new free online training platform that the Salvation Army's pioneering team have put together. At our roots, we are a missional movement, formed in and around the missional DNA. It is imperative that as a movement in today's world, we as believers engage with the edges and margins of society. Our belief is that while some are pioneers, all are called to pioneering. By pioneering, we mean to break new grounds and reach new people in new ways. This course has been especially designed to introduce you to this missional DNA, connect you to others on the journey, and support you as you explore God's calling on your life. If you'd like to join us on the journey, we'd love to invite you to sign up to the training course at pioneerbitesize.com. That's all one word, pioneerbitesize.com. My name is John, and I'm joined on today's episode, our final episode, um, with, uh, by Ed. Hello. Beth. Hi. Luke. Hello. And Paul. Oh. So on today's episode, like I say, we will be looking at the final part of the MDNA, the Minality and Communitas. And to guide us through the discussion, we have Mark Scott. Mark has been involved in leading churches for over 20 years in a variety of settings, including South London, for the last 10 years. He is passionate about communities and how church can be developed following on an ancient and future model. In recent years, it's been so good to see the Salvation Army in the United Kingdom once more engaging with and embracing its pioneering spirit and DNA. An outworking of this growing movement momentum has been to unite such pioneers and pioneering work in and around the theme and mantra, passionate believers and daring dreamers. The very foundational bedrock of the Salvation Army in the formative years was in and around the ability to not only dream of possibilities of an alternative way, but to passionately take risks for Jesus and his kingdom. The risk for many of those first believers resulted in suffering, pain, and even death. As we have looked at the missional DNA, we have covered the subjects of Jesus is Lord, discipleship, and disciple making, missional incarnational impulse, APEST, organic systems, and the final MDNA component that we're looking at now is liminality and communitas. So often, church and religious organisations are consumed by an inward focus which reinforces a culture of safety and security. We need to compare this with movements where we find spiritual leaders and disciples intentionally designing risk-taking practice, environments and processes as the normal expression of church life. This is deeply rooted in the belief that faith is exactly that. It's a bold step, a risk in the unseen God. This risk-taking mindset an ability is embodied within many of the founding pioneers of the Salvation Army movement and are exemplified in La Marichelle. So if you are a little confused there about the word La Marichelle, don't worry, we were very confused a minute ago when we were planning this and we heard that for the first time and thought, what on earth? Have we, have we, are we missing out on something here? But trust us, it's all explained as we get further into the videos. 
um, we sent a, a, a question into one of the group chats where we were asking what all that meant. But then, um, yeah, to backtrack when it was all explained in later videos, uh, we thought it'd be helpful at this stage if we were just to, de to define some terms here. So uh, you heard Mark there going through all the different MDNA and uh, we're going to have a little bit of time to reflect on that in our next episode. But um, this one we're focused on today, liminality and communitas. I think it's some of the, the trickiest language of in the MDNA to get your head around. But really it's about two things. It's about risk-taking and camaraderie. And the bite size defines risk-taking as vision and priorities that challenge beyond the known stretching beyond the status quo, creating an environment of risk, experiment and adventure. And that's the liminality component of this. And then camaraderie, which is the deeper relationships with the deeper relationships with all by a shared adventure and journey, creating an environment of shared rituals and practice. Uh, yeah, we heard Mark talking a lot off the back of that about risk and about how the church uh, takes risks and perhaps at other times doesn't take take risks and I wonder um, how do you feel that the church has in some way lost its ability to take risk and become kind of risk averse in its practices yeah I think so I hope you don't have any follow up for that why <laughs> um, I, I mean in terms of why in a practical sense I think because we get comfortable in our own buildings yeah yeah um, it's really difficult to keep. I think the, the the problem that I think a lot of sort of established church faces is that by building new relationships and new rituals, you then have new rituals that you want to keep because that's what did a good thing when you started. Yeah. So the process of pioneering, if you ever let that stop, it becomes comfortable. Mm. And then you sat in something comfortable and that's nice. So we don't think about breaking new ground again because we like where we are. Mm. And then you get stuck in that. I think there's the element that um, risk, obviously, by its very nature, will ultimately change the status quo of things. And people quite like the art of self-preservation. Mm. Like, we're going to go, oh, well, you know, it's really good at the moment. Let's, you know, just keep it nice and safe and let's keep it protected. Um, but And then, obviously, self-preservation naturally leads to closing off and becoming more insular. And um, as I often say, um, you sort of narrow the gene pool down so that you essentially just um, become this self-contained little bubble that then expand because that's seen as, you know, putting yourself at risk in a bad way. But actually, if you were to um, widen the horizons and perhaps um, take obviously calculated risks, um yeah, it just seems very much like, um, yeah, self-preservation for the point of trying to protect something, but actually by doing that, you end up killing it anyway because because it can't grow. Mm. Yeah. And I also think we we as the church are too afraid of failure. Yeah. And we, and by failure, you know, it can be as simple as. If we try something and only one person turns up, that's a failure because in what we prioritize in the church as success is multitudes of numbers, is like mega church, you know, bums on seats type thing. We yeah. don't prioritize 
deep personal relationships. We don't prioritize, you know, one-on-one discipleships, those small things that, you know, part of the MDNA, you know, Jesus is, we don't prioritize all those other things. Mm -hmm. We prioritize how we look and how it feels on a, you know, on a numbers piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So therefore when we do take risks and they don't look how we want them to, we just revert back to what, you know, Paul and Luke were saying, we go back to that comfortability. We go back to that place where it is safe and we do have the numbers to, to hold out. Yeah. As part of my job recently, um, talking of numbers, um, I've recently had to do um, the famous stats. So looking at all our program, looking at all our activities and tossing up how many come to toddler group on a Monday, how many come to kids group on a um, Friday evening, how many come along to this and that and the other. And, and like genuinely six hours of my life that I will never get back. Um, absolutely hated it. But, and it's one thing that I will always hate because I, I genuinely feel like sometimes we are measuring, we, we, we're trying to understand something, but we're using the wrong system to measure. We look for quantitative to essentially validate things when actually it is the qualitative for me that actually validates something. Like we might have only had like three at that toddler group, but actually that was an hour and a half of amazing conversations that we yeah. couldn't have had if we had a room full of 20 mums and 20 kids. It doesn't work. So yeah. I think num- numbers alone just don't work, which is why stats infuriate me. Um, Cause I, I think we're looking for the wrong thing. Definitely. And I, I- you know, I, I looking at our experiences here at, at Copper Beach, we've had kind of kids clubs and parties where we've had fifty new people that we've not come into contact with coming to our coming through the doors and come to a party. And we've also had sessions where we've had like one person come along who, you know, we've known for ages and they're just faithfully come to everything. And I don't I, I've come to the opinion that I, I definitely agree with you, Luke, that I don't think one of those is better than the other. Because when we just have one person come through the door, we get to spend two hours there or thereabouts having a deep, good conversation with someone and building and deepening a relationship there. And when we have 50 people there, we get to meet new people, but we don't get that depth. It's kind of that wide, but not deep or kind of very, you know, narrow, but very deep. It's um, yeah, they, they just achieve different things. But the one with the 50 people will always look better um on a form will always look better when we're sending stats off um and yeah it's it's tricky to kind of come up with a way of of measuring success in a way that that captures both the oh it's great that you've had that many people come into contact but also oh it's great that you've been able to spend significant time and deepening relationship there and that I, I, I can't think of a, a good system <laughs> that allows you to collate all of that. Um, well, especially when you look across the whole country, if you're trying to be, you know, some sympathy for the people at THQ here who are trying to collect information and data from across a whole country. How do you do that when you're trying to collect qualitative and quantitative data? I, I, I don't know. I think maybe we're, we're moving from the scope of liminality and communitas here, but I, it's, a, it's a good question. <laughs> And I think there's like an element of shame, isn't there, within it as well? Yeah. Like you, you feel like you can't be, re- I mean, it's already been mentioned, but you become, 
you, you, there's an element of shame if it doesn't work. Mm. Like we've got in our head, it's like a this just a society shame that we get. Like if something doesn't work, we have this kind of automatic thing of like, that's on my head. Yeah. Even though it should be a something new can come from it, kind of things like that. Phoenix rising from the ashes stuff, and you know sometimes things have to stop for something new, like that risk to be taken again. Um, and that's a that's a big learning curve. Like for me personally, going into pioneering like trying to say to myself it's okay if something don't work you know trying to beat that shame over the head kind of mm. thing, saying actually yeah. you know it's okay to take a risk if it doesn't work that's fine take another risk mm. you know instead of going oh like, like like paul said already like if you find something that works and kind of going oh that's that's working really nicely let's carry that on it's going you know oh wait a minute it's starting to die a bit can we do something else does that make sense but i mean that that's a really yeah a really difficult thing for us all i think to try and certainly in the church to kind of get over is that shame of things stopping and um things that once worked uh not working that kind of stuff as well within that yeah. risk taking and stuff yeah yeah i also think it's not modeled mm. you know and if it's you know and we don't see it hugely in society i don't think very much i think in collective we see it sometimes in individuals, but I think if it was modelled or if it was seen more, promoted more, then those, you know, people would feel safer to do it. We're, we're such a, um, like, sheep society, aren't we? If we saw someone else do it, people feel more encouraged to, to follow along and to feel the, you know, to know there's a safety net. And I think mm. I do, though, always have to have in the back of my mind that we work we all are part of a church that when you do take risks there are a lot of security security and safety nets around you so with our you know we are John and I are pioneer leaders and when we do things you know in our job and when we have tried things that have that haven't worked out when we've taken risks that have you know haven't paid off it we've our jobs are still okay you know because we can just keep trying and in other churches and in other spheres and other pioneering contexts that's not always the option yeah. you know people take risks and then the funding is gone mm. so there's always that element I have to try and remind myself that I'm so fortunate that where I'm based where I where my home is in terms of my church and my mission and calling I have a sense of security that others don't so mm. it takes taking that risk is so much easier because it isn't that like that in other places. And I'm reminded of that when we go to collections of fresh expression groups or when I'm with other pioneers from other denominations, that it isn't the same. And I have mm. to be really mindful of that, that I'm talking about, you know, let's jump out of this plane. Let's do this. Not literally. I would never do that, yeah. but um, let's, you know, let's do these, let's take this risk together mm. and, for them, the risk is much greater. The cost is much greater for mm. them than it is for me. And that I think you always have to be mindful of as a church is the cost of it. And it's different, going to be different for everybody, yeah. whether that's financially or personally or emotionally or spiritually. Um, and so I think that has an element of it because the cost is always going to be in there, in your head. Yeah. Sorry, I pointed to my head, realizing remembering <laughs> it's a podcast um, in your head. Definitely. And I think, you know, that kind of calls back to what we spoke about last time on organic systems, about having the systems that give freedom to take risks. Mm -hmm. 
And again, that is like something that, you know, we can be grateful for in the Salvation Army or in our experience, at least that we've mm. kind of been given space to go and take risks and yeah, to try things. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's a, the, the, there's the element of um, being given permission to fail yeah. in mm. a way. And that is so liberating. Um, mm. And I think it, and I think people I think people certainly when I first heard the words that like, you've been given permission to fail. I was like, Oh, hang on. What's this? Was it such an, such an alien concept? Like mm. I, I, I think by and large in the rest of the world, um, if you fail, that's you done. That's your job gone. That's everything just collapses. And so to be told that we give you permission to fail is, um, hugely um scary at first because you go hang on a second this doesn't seem to compute with how i normally understand failure um but then when you realize the liberating potential that it does have it, it it's yeah it really is quite remarkable at the age of 22 la marichelle katie booth was taken to Paris by her mother and left there with a small group of equally young women to introduce the Salvation Army, of which her father was the general, into France. Within a week, she was sworn at, jeered at and pelted with stones and mud. But her incredible tenacity and sincerity of purpose gradually won through. They nicknamed her La Capitaine at first and then La Maréchale which means the field marshal. The first meetings in Paris were in a dingy building in a rough quarter, where, as the police sergeant described her crowd, they have got in that crowd half the cutthroats of Paris. Yet these hardened men were dazzled by the innocent and dedicated zeal of the young ladies pressing upon them a gospel which their religion-hating culture had denied them. After no results from exhausting efforts, a Christian lady advised Katie to return to her mother in England. The reply came, if I cannot save France, I can die for it. Young Katie won her first convert by going to an old washerwoman at the back of the meeting, hugging her and telling her how much she loved her. With the assistance of a dozen other young maidens under her remarkable leadership, ever in the forefront for the Battle of Souls, La Maréchale planted the Salvation Army in Switzerland, Belgium, and Holland. Not only was she a risk taker, she was totally sold out to the cause for which the Salvation Army had been raised, and she was prepared to embark on the adventure of faith, to go for the least and the seemingly lowest of society. She modeled by her life of service and in her actions, the adventure of the Christian faith and its service. It was this demonstration of the kingdom that meant La Maréchale had an inherent ability to rally the troops and to unite them around a common cause. Her vision and values were embedded in who she was. People were compelled to follow her into the slums, literally, even though they experienced suffering and persecution, no one was going to rob her and her followers from fulfilling the commission on their lives and for which they had signed up to upon conversion. I don't know about you but like straight off um i just can't get 
this kind of, I think there was a Hillsong album that was called Dirt and Grace. Mm. And that the whole time I, Mark was sharing that story of Le Marichal, um, we're just thinking of that, like Dirt and Grace, like it was that kind of real mucky, getting your knees dirty stuff. And then yeah. out of that dirt comes that grace, yeah. like the conversations and the, the community, that camaraderie with a washerwoman and all of that kind of stuff. And the, yeah, those mis, you know, mishaps and misshapes and all that coming out of just those real, real kind of organic kind of conversations and stuff that she would have had. And that mm. just found that really, really powerful of a video. <laughs> Mm. um but then from that um you know how do we kind of see these two opposite things these dirt and grace fitting together these liminality and the communitas or the risk-taking and the camaraderie fitting together it's obviously seems quite like i don't know um like the the obviousness is the risk is actually going to france like i imagine she'd have quite happily gone anywhere else, gone to any other place. Obviously, um, video mentioned that um, Fran- that France was and still is quite averse to public religion mm. and all that sort of stuff. So that in itself was obviously the risk she had to take, going to a place where if she knew she wouldn't be welcome and knew she was going to get a, a, um, a sort of frosty reception, but then went anyway. And mm. then when she was there, she didn't go on her own. She went with a fellowship of others and they were all um, united around that single cause, which was to um, win souls for God in the slums of France. And mm. um, yeah, it's just, it's, I, I, you sit and listen to those. I, I, every time that I've sit, well, sat and listened to these um, pioneer stories, you you sit there and go, crikey, like, yeah. I just, I don't know, part of me just can't imagine it ever happening today, and perhaps that's my closed-mindedness, but I just sit there and I'm amazed by it, mm. like, you just go, like, that's incredible, and mm. like, you know, to go in a time when we didn't have all the luxuries of today, you know, just essentially hop on a boat and go from scratch they had no outpost to to go to as of right where do we go from here um so yeah it was really stepping out into the unknown and taping and taking the um leap of faith or as i remember seeing it called somewhere the faith of leap mm. i'm hoping someone can affirm that's a thing <laughs> or if not i've made it up <laughs> That actually, um, I've just Googled it to check myself, but Faith of Leap is another Alan Hirsch book. So you're very on brand there. Um, <laughs> Extra Alan Hirsch brownie points. You get double points. Um, yeah, yeah, totally get what you mean, though. Um, actually, I, I think that twisting that around, saying actually it's not it's not a singular leap of faith that the expression can can sometimes reduce it to. It's actually a a faith that requires the leap. It's a faith that leads us into leaping. It's a faith that leads us into risk taking because God is a is a is a risk taking God in many ways. And you know, if you if we were to follow Jesus's lifestyle and follow the way he moved in the world, that wouldn't look safe for us. 
it wouldn't and i think we've really removed so much of that that risk element of following jesus that is a shame because i think in a way we've lo- we've also removed some of the most radical some of the most groundbreaking some of the most um critical for the world parts of of our faith as well when we've when we've sanitized it um going back to the idea of why or how we can hold liminality and communitas risk-taking camaraderie together for me in in a way liminality forms the communitas and the the risk-taking forms the camaraderie it's it's not that they are opposed to each other it's almost a process in my mind that as you kind of journey with people and you know you're i've been in a really tight-knit team here for the past four years and when everything goes wrong and when you've put a load of your effort and your time into something and no one comes or it all just falls apart you are drawn together there is always those lessons learned there is always that story built in team and i think that camaraderie that community formed like forged in a way by risk is is really deep and it has really kind of significant impact on on the way you interact together so yeah i totally see these two kind of working in tandem a bit of perhaps geeky fandomness but i always liken this to sort of lord of the rings and the whole fellowship of the ring thing yeah like they were they were, it, it, I, I think i think again alan hirsch used this as his example so i'm absolutely stealing it but it's one that i remembered so hey and and the way that alan hirsch um pens it is that it's the whole thing of um they obviously had that 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 sort of common goal. They had that thing that united them, but they all had to um, step out into the unknown. The hobbits had to leave the Shire, and mm. I imagine the hobbits quite living in, quite enjoyed to live in the Shire, and they didn't really go much beyond that. Mm. And and obviously, it talks about how relationships were fractured between the elves, the dwarfs, and the humans, and how they all just come together in this unlikely ragtag team to go and complete the the objective, albeit over albeit over three movies, um, <laughs> but still. Um, so yeah, I think there's that element of um, having that um, common goal, and then once you have that common goal and and you're united around that, you then have to go right. Let's let's step forward in this together. Um, we are the fellowship of the ring or we are the fellowship of the gospel. Let's go do it. Um, let's leave our um, equivalent shires and step into the um, earthly Mordors. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, um, another question, is there, John? There is another question. Um, the other question we've got is, where do you feel most comfortable in risk-taking or in camaraderie? most comfortable but is in the camaraderie yeah or at least for me mm. it's just risk taking is a lot easier when there's someone taking the risk with you isn't it so if they go hand in hand i think i'm not personally not the sort of person to take the first step mm. um, but i'll quite happily support the people who are taking the first step um i think that's a lot easier for me but maybe that that is just me i don't know mm. I, it feels like an odd question to me uh because Surely for everyone, the camaraderie is the, the more comfortable bit. Mm. We enjoy that. Um, may, maybe I'm wrong there. May, maybe that's, that, that is a personality-dependent thing. But yeah, I, I guess, you know, thinking about it, some people 
are, are kind of sort of leaders that want to just be able to go and take risks. And sometimes team can be difficult for people in doing that because they they don't get to have like the final say on everything if you've got a team that you've got to motivate and bring with you. So sometimes do you think the camaraderie can get in the way of the risk taking? Absolutely. I think that's something that we've experienced in that um, when you are, I think when you are so, um, what's the word, in Mm. to like in the fresh expression, in the pioneering world, when it is your living and your breathing, when you are doing the reading and the training in it, And when also you're supported by other people and you have other people, you feel more comfortable taking risks. And if you have other people that support your journey that perhaps aren't as deep in as you are, you're mm. raring and ready to go and they're not. Yeah. And then so you can, they can kind of like hold you off the deep end, like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? And we've experienced that and that we've not taken as much as we haven't taken some risks because we've been, because there's been an un- there's been a fear, there's been an uncertainty, there's, you know, because for whatever reason, we just chose not to. And there is always that what if question after when you don't do that. Um, and I fully appreciate that being like, it kind of goes against so many people have said, like, my job goes so much against of who they, who I am. But as a person, as a human being, I'm not a risk taker. But in my job, I feel way more comfortable doing that. And I don't know if that is because I thought I was alone in doing the risks, but doing things like the MDNA with mm. other Salvation Army officers, pioneers who have done it for many years, I've realised I'm not alone. Mm. So I feel more comfortable to take the risk because I'm covered in prayer. I'm covered by support, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's a funny I find it such a funny place to be. Ask me tomorrow and I could give you a different answer. Mm. Um, ask me a year in a year when we've got something else, you know, going on. Again, I could have a completely different answer then, but mm. um, I think I think I definitely feel more comfortable taking risks now more than I ever did because I know I have the prayer support. I know I have, you know, the backing of leaders and people, which again, I know is a rarity. But I think, again, it depends on circumstances. It depends on what you've got around you. You know, those things, when you when you know you've got an, a literal army of people praying for you, taking those risks can feel really, can actually feel really easy, perhaps yeah. too easy sometimes. Um, and do we then go in it alone? Like I was thinking, have I, you know, do we take so many risks that we risk stepping into that camaraderie? Like, because people are like, Oh, I can't get on board with how deep they're going. Mm. And am I missing out? So there's, it's finding that balance, isn't it? Mm. I've been really challenged, like thinking about it just, just then how, like, am I going so deep that I'm not allowing others to, you know, to become part, to join that, get that communitas, you know? So, yeah. I've challenged my own self in my own thinking there. Yeah, I think Beth and I are very different personalities as well. So I I feel like personally I thrive off of risk-taking. Um, 
ever since I was a kid, I was always called the rebel because I'd always try and push the boundary a bit on stuff and still try and do that now. Um, but that doesn't come without making sure I've got that camaraderie behind me because if I don't have that, then that risk taking is a really immature risk taking. Does that make sense? I mm. think there's a there's a real fine line between an immature risk taker and a mature risk taker and an immature camaraderie and a mature kind of thing. And I think it all kind of links in with all the MDNAs that we've done already. Yeah. But like that kind of thing of making sure there's that sending church with you or you know, certainly in a pioneering set, you know, context. Mm. Um, but also that kind of making sure you've got a mentor, make sure you've got a partner. You're going to need those those aspects in your risk taking mm. because in those risk taking you it can be isolating. So you need that camaraderie to kind of bounce off and go, oh, I done that right. Or um does that make sense? Yeah. That kind of aspect to it. Yeah, that's where my mind goes, is just making sure that even in my own risk taking, I've got, yeah, I've got Beth alongside me who's kind of like the level head. <laughs> it kind of goes, calm down, John. We need to take our time with this. But also having people that um you can kind of go to and say, I'm really struggling with this aspect of this risk taking or this um kind of what we're trying to do and grow off that. Yeah. I wonder if we have perhaps um what's the word? Synonymized risk to being reckless mm. and we've automatically gone, okay, you're okay so risk means recklessness when actually it doesn't hmm. like i think like, i think that mean i think that's where people perhaps put two and two together and then get five they go well you know risk must be reckless you must be doing something really really stupid and then it almost becomes risk becomes to be called a risk taker can almost become quite a a sort of like derogatory term mm. in that you know you're like a really risky person and like people look down on that and talk down on that um but yeah just i think we've perhaps the two words have become synonymous have become synonymous with each other when actually they are different things yeah i agree i think yeah we've we've definitely lumped that um recklessness in the risk category but i agree there is a distinction there actually and i love that the way that mark scott spoke about um in in the video spoke about rhythms and practices of risk taking and i quite like that that way of looking at it that actually there are there are ways of living and moving in the world that encourage us to take risk where that's appropriate but that's not a reckless you know gonna do anything don't care it's a kind of a, a measured actually you know following god in my environment following god in my community is risky and we've got to accept that's the nature of it and then you know actually engage in that risk taking because ultimately that's where we're going to find find god in what he's doing in the world um so yeah i, I think i i really liked the way you phrased that luke there's also a huge difference in in risk can what risk can mean to some people because i know some church some churches have taken some risks like we've got you know we know people you know ministers who have completely stopped their core program shut everything down and moved to a more pioneering-esque model hmm. um and that was a huge risk for them as a as an established church core setting to do that 
um, and then I've known other churches to just perhaps slightly tweak their program. And that is a huge risk for them, you know, stopping in the Salvation Army context, stopping evening meetings could be a mm. huge risk. So I think risk can be totally dependent upon the context, the person and the people that we're looking at. What What's a risk for John and I in Faversham Salvation Army is not going to be a risk for you and Sophie Ed or for you, Luke, or for you, Paul, or for, you know, Manchester Core or for, you mm. know, St. Ives or for all of these places because it's dependent upon the past is dependent upon whether where the people are in their faith it's dependent upon the context it's dependent upon so much um but what is it but what is sure is that it can bring like whatever the risk whatever the circumstances whatever the outcome it is it can bring that communitas where you know even if it is when I say just, I don't mean that to, d- to diminish it, but if it is changing a programme by dropping one thing or if it is completely closing the programme, it can both outcomes can bring community, can bring people together because of that being in that state of danger or disorientation can bring people together um, to say we want to hold this as a community. So mm. um, it's just recognising that, isn't it? Risk and adventure are key to healthy and dynamic movements. When movements begin to lose their pioneering creativity, they can run into the danger of settling down. The once dynamic movement can become complacent as they begin to shape themselves around maintenance. Maintaining structures so as to safeguard what has been achieved and experienced, becoming an organisation rather than a movement. The movement is no longer shaped to pioneer into the unknown, but it becomes full of settlers who simply want to stay where they are. This may not be an intentional decision, but it can creep up on believers subtly and remarkably quickly. Within the risk-taking culture of community, there must also be an ability to journey deeper with one another, to grow together into what it means to be a community where diversity and unity coexist. This happiness and camaraderie is a direct result of people desiring to create life-giving, healthy rhythms of practice. This deep pursuit for risk-taking and oneness of community can often be seen within a community and movement that enjoys and experiences what it means to be able to laugh together and share in the fun of being together. Dynamic, thriving movements are often marked out by the obvious camaraderie amongst the risk-taking believers. These hallmarks of communitas are deeply attractive to people. See how they love one another. John, I love that you put story of Moana in the chat. That, that's completely confused me, and now I really want an explanation. <laughs> I well, think I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? Like, so the whole context of the story is that her the people, the community that she was part of. Um, she grew up this whole time thinking they were just on this island. That's where they've been their whole time. And then she finds all these boats yeah. and finds out that they were people that went from island to island, never stopping, always going going around, never being in one place for too long. Um, and that, that kind of initial bit that Mark was talking about just made me think of it, just kind of that yeah. like, you know, they did that. They went. They just 
went against what their their kind of ancestral background was. They just found an island they absolutely love, which is not a problem in a way. Um, and then they found that they kind of all that, and actually they should have been. They felt that they should have been moving on and on and on. Yeah. That was kind of where <laughs> that's where yeah. my brain when I heard that. Amazingly, John, I exact I knew exactly what you were talking about there because, <laughs> crazy enough, I've been thinking a lot about Moana and church recently, <laughs> and there's there is this line um, that her father says to her, and in one of the songs, it's um, tradition is our mission, and Moana, there's so much to do. And I, that line is, I've been thinking about it, and I think, oh, that's so familiar that tradition can become our mission, and there is so much to do. We can become very busy <laughs> doing all that. And like you say, living on that island. But actually what her dad isn't, isn't he's talking about their new traditions in a way. He's talking about the stuff that they founded since they arrived on an island. He's not talking about their heritage. Mm. And I think, you know, in the Savage Land, we've got this long heritage of being voyagers, of doing stuff and going out and being you know crazy and i think mm. we've we've found our islands our little buildings and we've gotten very safe in them haven't we and mm. we've made tradition our mission when actually mm. and here, here's the great bit mission is our tradition Ooh. oh there we go <laughs> mic drop <laughs> but also they're afraid to they don't go out because on one of their adventures which is always a risk something bad happened yeah. And then they became afraid of risks because of losing people of of of, of what it could do. Mm. So, like mm. that's such a great picture, John, of of mm. this whole story. And like, wow, that line, Ed, literally could be that could be that is the Salvation Army. Yeah. Like, mm. you know, if we if you ever want to do it, but that's you know maybe that should be your dissertation at college. <laughs> There's a lot in that, Can, isn't there? Comparing the Salvation Army cultural context today to the story of Moana. Yeah. Um, Who's he? Or hi, hey, hey. his name hey, hey. is. Um, <laughs> but, wow, yeah, I really stuck with the settlers yeah. idea, you know. Mm. We've we've kind of, you know, we were, like, that, that language is so true. We were voyagers. We were people that just travelled around. We weren't still. We weren't comfortable we but we have just moved into this settler mentality mm. that you know to go outside our buildings or off our island is terrifying the waters are terrifying to us you know I know some people who are deadly afraid of water I'm not one of those you know I love the you know the that unknown sense really mm. but for so many people doing anything beyond that it's just so terrifying. Mm. There's the familiarity that yeah. we talked about right at the beginning, isn't there? There's all of that. But mm. yeah, that's it. The idea of can can we create true communitas? And this is a question I'm I'm not asking myself. It's kind of a generic question I'm asking us all. Can we actually can we create communitas in the state that we are now? by not moving into those states of liminality, can we, if we're not taking risks, if we're just settling for what is tradition, for being inside, is it true communitas? Mm. I don't know the answer. I'm mm. just, that's just kind of where I landed. And I think the, the tradition aspect of where the Salvation Army in particular, you know, in our context, that's what we all know, this idea that 
um, there's again song of Moana where it's like uh, the island has ever all we need, and I think that maybe we got to a point where we thought, oh, we got all we need. We've got all the musicians we ever want. We've got all the officers we ever want, all the leaders we all all ever want, and we've got to a point where it starts to diminish, yeah. kind of like in, in oh, this is good. where again, and it's that, oh, wait a minute, not as, as yeah, it's not as rosy as it looked. Um, and I think that is where um, I'm challenged personally, because it's like, okay, well, what does that mean for us? Like, then you, you know, you hear stories of like the Marichal, um, where it's just that kind of like, well, I'll die for mm. these people. Like going, I'm going to a new place and I will die for these people um, instead of just, we've got all we need, happy, sitting in our four walls. You know, we've got our little community. When there's people on, even along the same road where your hall is that, you know, that don't know Jesus. And it's like, you know, even we just venturing out into that, that, that sea of people, isn't it? And I find that's just such a big challenge um yeah and you can have both you can have the building and you can have the the yeah. security and be risk takers as well but we aren't it's the it's the inward upward mm. and outward stuff that you learn about you know the three circles you've got your inward you've got your upward and you've got your outward um and all three need need each other to kind of be fruitful and to be to be healthy um and yeah, they all benefit each other. There's nothing wrong with that, having a building like Beth said, or having those kind of communities, but it's that kind of, what is our outward face? Mm. Or are we expecting them to rock up at the door? Um, and that is, that's just a big challenge for us because it, even though it's part of our ancestry as a, as a Salvation Army going to the people, we're scared of going to the people now because we don't know how to sometimes. I always found the discussions around tradition in the Salvation Army fascinating and especially what people wanted from it. Like when, like when you said that you wanted a really, a sort of like really traditional Salvation Army, what does that actually mean? Because you've got our original tradition, which is our heritage, which is very sporadic, very much on the move, constantly on the move constantly going out and um doing obviously what obviously the booth did um that very much tent in the center of town mentality they could pack it down move it on they could go island hopping to to to, to obviously to obviously to obviously then use a moana reference um but then i think we've created our once we had that we then created a new tradition which rightly or wrongly was band, songsters, uniform, flags, tons of officers, tons of soldiers. And that's what people craved because that's what looked good. Like a full citadel and having 50 in the band looked impressive. It sounded impressive. And that was the tradition that they then would put on a pedestal as this is what we need to aim for. Rightly or wrongly, I'm not going to jump into slating that because that's going to cause arguments. But that's where they put their pedestal and that's what they attained and wanted to attain. And when that wasn't there, that was the all great disaster. But actually, I think if we're looking at what actually tradition means, the army's tradition is to 
to go into the places that where nobody else wants to go and to pick up the to pick up the tent and take it into the town and and have a communitas there within a spirit of liminality and then go right pack it down on we go let's keep going um so yeah thanks yeah. moana <laughs> you really could do like a bible study of moana couldn't you that would be that'd that be interesting yeah um yeah I, I, it was interesting when you were speaking luke i was thinking about that relationship between the liminality and the communitas and how communities that are formed by risk are probably likely to take more risks right there because that's you know where they're born that's that's what they know and i think in likewise communities formed by comfort are likely to seek more comfort and likely to perpetuate that they they almost create cycles in and amongst themselves and i think perhaps we're, we're in a place where we need to try and change the cycle that our communities are stuck in um, that that's a hard thing isn't it because you're introducing the unknown element and we could go on to frozen with into the unknown here if we want to do no okay we're not doing it anymore <laughs> okay we've had enough of that um, paul gave me the, the firm no on that i do think it's difficult um even when you're in a risk-taking sort of culture hmm. to know when to take the next risk because if you're in something that's doing really, really well, when do you call that and say, right, I'm not doing this anymore. This is going brilliantly, but I'm going to quit now and do something else. And even if you decide that, say you plant a new church and that church takes off and you get loads of people there and everyone's loving it. And then you decide that it's time to plant a new church who goes and who stays and is staying less pioneering than going and what, you know, it's really hard to find that balance of, of what is, you know, the right the right risk to take. I guess at that point, do you carry on and build a deeper relationship in that space? Do you go and split that community in half, or however that looks? It is really difficult, and I think maybe sometimes it's not the risk, not the initial risk that's the scary bit. It's the what do we do when we've taken that risk? How do we drive that forward, or or not, and be willing to to say that this is what we do and that's it and that's fine and having that discernment to recognize risk that is for god and risk that is for the betterment of his kingdom or risks that's just for glorification of self and risk mm. that's just going to promote us and make us feel better and is something that we want to do um is so key to to hold to and having those having that people around you having good mentors having good pillars I guess is key in that mm. but I just I wonder if I could just ask a question because I've been thinking about it as you said it <laughs> um where do you think we've we as in perhaps like the Salvation Army or the church like where have we gone wrong in risk taking what do you think uh, I've just been sitting here thinking like what changed from like the early church to like even beginning of the Salvation Army how did we get to where we are now? Because it's not like this, you know, what was it do you think that caused that? Was it, no, I don't I'm not going to ask my own question, but I'm just really curious as to what you think caused us to just change, you know, perhaps slightly alter our DNA in, in losing that risk-taking um, 
coding in us, I guess. I do think it's comfort. I think if as soon as we get comfortable, we we like to stay there. And I think you see that all the way back, even into, you know, when Jesus was um, preaching, there were people that were, you know, really high up in culture at the time hated Jesus because he was preaching something new that would mess up their plans. And, uh, and they weren't bad people. They just hated the idea of change to the point mm. where they were willing to kill people and be bad people. Mm. Um, and we get so ingrained in our own comfort that we forget to do the other bit and and not and even when we think about the other bit we maybe don't want to do it because it's less comfortable um and i think you see that at the start of the salvation army where william booth was already a preacher somewhere else and he didn't like what was going on just because he felt restricted and things and wanted to do other things and wasn't allowed pretty much so he started something new but i think people like comfortable Mm. i think sometimes as well it's it's success (laughs) um that can make you quite comfortable like the salvation army took off and grew at an exponential rate and reached so many people and just kept growing and growing for you know a good a good a number of decades and then they bought a load of buildings. They found ways of, and, and I do think buildings is a big is a big part of this in the specific of the Salvation Army, um, mm-hmm. but uh, among other fact, factors, um, they became successful and had the resources, and they could become self dependent, couldn't they? So, I think when you don't have a safety net, it's easier to to push out into other things and try new things and take risks in a way because when that when that safety net's there you've always got the option of oh we can always we can always lean on that and that that will be fine but when it isn't there you you kind of don't have that option anymore do you i I think sometimes yeah that that lack of lack of resource lack of options i i mean i i studied music at, at uni and i always remember one of the lectures uh, was talking about um, creativity and they said that sometimes the thing that stops our creativity is having too many options and actually imp- imposing limitations can force creativity because it's often when we're in a space where we've got no options we've we need to find a way of working with what we've got and, and make something happen that we come up with our most creative solutions mm-hmm. and I think the church can be the same that you know we achieved a level of success that afforded us buildings it afforded us money it afforded us people it afforded us all these resource and op- options that actually you know perhaps our creativity was hampered as well i think that is held up by what's happening now in the church though mm. over the last 20 30 years people see the decline of the church in this country yeah. and are forced into making new changes and having mm. conversations like this about pioneering and how we do that mm. i don't think those conversations were happening yeah as much as they are now and i think that is an increase like over over the last 20 30 years as as the dec- as the decline of the sort of regular tradition i yeah. don't know what the right word is for that the established church i guess is the right yeah. word um people see that need and then they are forced to be creative in a different way mm. and i think that's one of the things that gives me hope about the future of the church is that like we we kind of talk a lot about the need for churches to get on board and try new things and take risks we're entering a phase in history where we're going to have to 
<laughs> like that that the that is kind of being forced upon us in a way that creativity is going to have to come out otherwise churches are just going to close and we're mm. seeing that already so um in a way i i think that the church is going to be forced into a rude awakening but it's going to be the best thing for it and we're going to see a creativity and a missional drive and an energy um, born out of this really difficult phase and i guess for in this country for christianity it's going to be it's going to be uh, amazing for the church i wonder if we've perhaps lost our sending instinct mm. um i seem to remember reading that when you look at the way that that historically the salvation army used to be structured your big citadels were your mother churches and then you had your core were like your little offshoots and they were then they were the sent people. And the idea is that once they'd then created a core, they would then send out an outpost. And the idea of actually once they got to a stage, they would then go, right. And, and actually like um, Lamara Shell's a prime example. Like she was, she came from for, for, for argument's sake, say England was the citadel, she was sent out of that citadel into a new land to go and do stuff. And then offshoots would have come from that anyway. And I wonder if we've lost the sending power. We've lost, we no longer see it as, the, we've, we've lost the importance of sending people on. Um, I remember reading somewhere how this church takes the model that um, once they get to a certain size, they I don't, I don't know how they do it, but they make people move on. You say, okay, you we've reached this number, whatever that number is. We now need you to go and move on from this place. You can't stay here. We we need to send you on. And and the idea of um yeah, I think we have I wonder if we've lost that that sending power and and because sending hasn't always worked sending has been sending was and sort of is the risk mm. when it's not worked sendings become reckless and so sendings become a stupid idea and so that and so we've actually we've stopped sending people and we've gone right we need to stop sending these expeditions out because clearly it's not working we need to we we, we need to all, i think we have perhaps entered into a siege mentality of right everyone everyone must stay inside the walls we're going to be safer if we stay inside our walls because we can protect ourselves then when actually um the safer you know you know you just got to keep hacking it and just keep hacking away at it and just keep going mm. um yeah i think the lack of a send i think the not lack of because it does happen still but the um the Ascending culture is less prevalent, I think. Yeah. When my wife Emma and I moved to Mitcham a few years ago to restart the work of the Salvation Army, we were given two good pieces of advice. One was to spend time with um, activities that were already happening, to invest our time in supporting people um, and joining in with the work of God where it was happening already. And the second piece of advice was to love people and not just love them, but really love them. By taking on these two pieces of advice, 
we found that people wanted to get to know us. They wanted to know why we were doing what we were doing. Why were we giving our time for free in effect so that we could help them in their efforts to join in with the community? As we did this, we built great relationships with people. We got to be known around the area and got to be trusted. And eventually it got to the point where people who knew us and knew that we were Christians and that was the reason that we were carrying out what we were doing, started to ask us, when are you going to start church? That was a very different conversation when people asked us when we were going to start church because they already wanted to join in. They had seen what our community might look like and they wanted to be part of it. And the great thing for us was that as they joined, they brought their learning and their experiences and their gifts and could be part of the journey of developing and growing a new community that served not only our community around us, but served God in that place too. People find themselves wanting to align with and are attracted to people who passionately believe in what they are following. People are wanting to align themselves where there is a sense of adventure. When communitas is truly expressed, then people want to get right on board. It is both deeply attractive and stimulating. Those formative pioneers of the movement exemplified both camaraderie and risk-taking faith, deeply attractional and intentionally lived out. For movement to be realised and experienced today, we need to embody this key component of MDNA. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, I feel like this is another one that we could go on for ages with. Uh, The last few have been like that, actually. Just looking at that last video um, and the stuff in the conclusion, there's so much more to be said on this. Um, If you'd like to engage in a conversation or carry on, some of this discussion around what we've spoken about today there's a few places we'd like to invite you to do that the first is at pioneerbitesize.com which is the training course that we've been working through and throughout that course there are spaces for interaction there are spaces for you to share your thoughts and to read the thoughts of others we also have two spaces on social media one is the sa pioneering podcast group on Facebook, and another is the SSOM Listener Group, um, which is also on Facebook. And in both of those spaces, we just invite you to join and share any of your thoughts, any of your questions, anything like that, and we'd love to carry on this conversation with you there. Um, Our next episode, which is our conclusion episode, will be out in just two weeks, and we'll be wrapping up all that we've learned from this journey. And we really hope that you'll join us then. Okay, well, thanks for listening and see you next time. Be well.